0: We're going to jump into Colossians. When Ken gets back in a few weeks, we're going to jump into Ruth as a tie-in to Judges. But Shane and I are going to walk through Colossians. I'll be in the second chapter. Shane will be in the third chapter. But as I get started this morning, you know, I was thinking about... We just moved to a house down on Faulkner Street a few years back. And the folks that were there that owned the house for about six or seven years... You know, they had planted. We've got some blueberry bushes out front. Uh, There's a pear tree. They had some other garden things uh, that we ripped up because I'm not good at that. Uh, And then there was a plum tree. And as a kid, I had, we lived kind of out east of town, and we had apple trees and a peach tree and a plum tree. And I remember as a kid, it was so cool to be able to just walk down there, and there would be plums everywhere. Pull a plum off, I mean, a big, juicy plum, and just eat it. You know, I mean, I might wipe it off a little bit on my shirt. Definitely didn't wash it. But as a little kid, that was so cool. And so when I saw this house and they had this plum tree, I thought, this is the neatest thing. Well, the first year we were there, nothing happened. And I'm like, ah, that's kind of disappointing. And it's not a huge tree. It's small. But then the next year, nothing happened. The third year, you know, I was like, I don't know what's going on with me. Maybe this is just a decorative thing. Um, and I did a little research and, and realized that this type of plum tree, it takes seven, eight years before it starts to produce fruit. But I was kind of like, you know, this is probably year 9, 10, because I knew when they had lived there and planted it. And I was kind of getting impatient. And I was like, you know, I, it's kind of small. I could cut this thing down. We grow a little more grass here. But then last year I saw, I think I counted six little plums. Now they disappeared. I don't know squirrels, birds, what, what they, never, they never fully ripened. But I saw six little plums show up. But it made me just thinking about that and going, you know, that tree has to, it has to develop roots, and it has to grow, and it has to mature before it begins to produce fruit. And the truth is that as I was thinking about that tree, I thought, you know, I kind of feel like that tree is felt in the earlier years. You know, I'm like, it's a lot of days you wake up, and you're kind of like, I don't know what I did today. Don't feel very fruitful for the Lord. And I kind of feel like, you know, Lord, just chop, chop me down. Get rid of me. Come on. What what good am I? But we realize that that tree, it takes time to grow, to develop, to grow down into the ground with those deep roots, to be established. And then it starts to produce fruit. You can't force it to produce fruit. And we're the same way. And I don't know if you feel like that lots of days of just going, gosh, I don't feel very fruitful. But God has to work in our hearts and work in our lives, and as we mature in our faith, then that fruit will start to come. That fruit will start to be developed, and we'll see those things. As we're jumping in to Colossians, this first little section, Paul encourages the Colossians to continue in their faith. Read with me what it says It says, So then, just as you receive Christ. Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in your faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. And this is kind of summing up all of what Colossians is about. Because the people at, at the Church of Colossae, they were... They were giving in to some things and listening to some philosophies, some teachings, some false doctrines were coming into the church. And so Paul is writing this letter to refute that, to say, listen, don't let these things take you captive. But I love what it says here. As it says, so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. This is the same word uh, when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the Mount of uh, the Transfiguration. So this idea of being near to someone, to join yourself to someone else. So Paul's saying, hey, you've received Christ Jesus. You've already received Him as Lord. Continue to live in Him. And we're going to talk about in Christ a lot this morning. But he says two things. Live in Him, rooted and built up. I love that imagery right there to be rooted and built up. Ephesians 3.17 says this, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. So we hear this language a lot in the New Testament, this idea of being rooted. You know, and I was talking about that plum tree, and it's, it's small, it has small roots. You know, right next to me, my neighbor has this giant oak tree, which is magnificent. And you can see some of the roots, but we all know that those oak trees downtown, I mean, they are deeply rooted. And as they are deeply rooted, they are also built up as a strong, mighty oak tree. And that word rooted means firmly established. You know, it takes a while for those oak trees downtown to grow. Hundreds of years for them to get where they look when we see them where they are now. But they are rooted. They have a deep root system that is strong as it grows down. And Ephesians 4.12 says, To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. This idea of being rooted and built up. Or to build upon a foundation. And strengthened in your faith. To be established again. This word, strengthen your faith. To be established. To be firm and to be secure. So he's encouraging the church hey, you've received Christ. Continue to live in him. Don't stop the things that you're doing. Continue to be rooted deeply in him, built up as a body of believers, firm in your faith. And I love this word as you were taught. You know, they didn't just start out that way, they were taught what it meant to be rooted in Christ. They were taught what it meant to be built up. And this is a great little opportunity just to talk, throw in a little plug about discipleship. You know, discipleship is not just something that some people do. Discipleship begins before someone receives the gospel through evangelism and them hearing the gospel onto maturity. I mean, discipleship is what we're all about. It's in our mission statement. We want to reproduce reproducing disciples. We want to make disciples. Those kinds of disciples. So I just want to encourage you, if, if you're not in a discipling relationship, one-on-one in a small group with some guys or some gals from your home church, I encourage you to seek that out. If you've been a believer for 40, 50 years, I encourage you to look to someone younger, more immature in the faith and help them become rooted and built up in the faith. If you're younger and you're kind of floundering around going, I don't know what's going on in my life. I encourage you to find someone who is more mature in the faith than you and ask them to walk with you. But I love that idea of being taught. This didn't just happen overnight. But they were taught what it meant to be rooted and to be built up. And it says, as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Once again, I love this this idea of overflow. Overflow. That as we live a life of thankfulness, as the church at Colossae was being encouraged to live a life of thankfulness and to allow that to overflow as a response of their faith. As a response to being rooted and built up, not on their own merit, but to be rooted and built up in Christ. So he's encouraging them, saying, hey, continue what you're doing. Don't stop what you're doing. But as you do that, he goes on, and he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. And this idea of being taken captive, or to be led away or seduced, I mean, those are the things that they were battling in the the day. They had received Christ, they had come to know the Lord, but then they were starting to hear these other things being taught. A lot of it was things from the early Jewish people continuing in these human traditions. Other words for that is instruction or the law. They're trying to add to the gospel. Yes, Jesus, but, and this, and this, and this, and you've got to keep all these things. Or things from the world... We're trying to seduce them and lead them away. And think about what that means. Hollow and deceptive. You know, I think about hollow. Uh, a tree or, or a, you get a bucket. You open up a bucket. If it's hollow, there's nothing. there's nothing in it. It's empty. It's void of anything. Versus what we'll talk about in a minute, the difference in that contrasted with being filled with fullness. And then this idea of, of deceptive. It's something that is, is, is trying to deceive you and draw you away from the truth. So you've got empty versus full, and you've got these false deceptive things that are going on versus the truth of what Paul was trying to explain and preach and teach the folks here at the church of Colossae. Galatians 4.9 says this, says, But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to these weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? And this is just this idea of these worldly principles. So he's saying, look, don't let these things that the world is trying to say to you Don't let these things capture your heart and your minds because they are empty. They are deceitful. They are not full like the truth of what you've learned, what you've been taught, as he says earlier. You were taught about being rooted and built up in the faith and overflowing with thankfulness. And just the contrast of that to what was going on for them at this moment in time as they were being deceived by some of these worldly principles, these worldly thoughts, these worldly philosophies. And it's not that philosophy is bad in and of itself, but it was things that were leading them away from Christ, that were seducing their hearts and their minds and taking them away from Christ. And this is the beginning of what Paul is saying. So he's encouraging them. He's saying, look, this is what's going on. And now I want to go through and I want to share with you why you need to continue in your faith what you need to be rooted in, and what you need to be built up in. As he continues, we're going to talk about this idea. Three things, really. His fullness, his fellowship, and freedom with. Three different ideas that Paul is going to use and push together to help them understand how to be rooted and built up in their faith. Read with me in 2, 9 through 10. It says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives where it dwells. This idea of being established permanently. All of God's fullness... Back in the beginning of Colossians, it talks about that. It says, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. God's fullness, everything that He is, all of His deity, dwells bodily in Christ. His fullness, His completeness. This idea of the Godhead, the the owner and sustainer of all things. I mean, if we just think about God's fullness for a minute. I mean, He is... He is the creator, right? He is the owner of all things. He is the sustainer of all things. He is powerful. He is majestic. He is wonderful. He is awe-inspiring. I mean, everything that you think about when we think about God, all of His characteristics, He is good, He is holy. Every bit of that. All of His completeness, all of His fullness dwells in Christ. It wasn't just there for a minute, but it is established permanently in Christ. And through that, that has also been put into us. I love the language in John 1.1. It says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God." And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then 16 says, Out of His fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. The incarnation. But this is more than just the incarnation that God became man. Not only did God become man, but all of His fullness, all of His deity dwells permanently in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12.2 says this, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Everything is in Him, and He sits at the right hand of God. All of that fullness has been given to Him. And then the truth that Paul is trying to explain to them is he's saying be rooted, be built up. He's saying, and in Christ, when you are in Christ, you have been brought to that same fullness. Earlier in Colossians, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He talks about this mystery. This is the mystery of which is being revealed to the Gentiles. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have been brought to that fullness through being in Christ. As we are called to Him, as we respond to the gospel, as we trust Him, we have been brought to that fullness. Now, part of this is kind of mind-boggling when you think about this. And I don't think it means we can create the world. I don't think it means that. But I think Paul is saying everything, all of this completeness, all of who God is that is in Christ also is in you. It's an encouragement to say, you've got everything you need. You've been hearing these other things, these worldly things, these hollow and deceptive philosophies. They're trying to teach you these things and seduce you and drag you away from the truth. I'm telling you, you have everything you need in Christ. You are complete in Him. And everything, all of God's deity that dwells in Him, also you have been brought to that same fullness. And not only that, he goes on to say, and he is the head over every power and authority. Think about what that means. Everything that is in God is in Christ, and we are brought to that same fullness, and he is over every power and every authority. And as I read that Hebrews verse, that he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. That is the kind of encouragement that the church at Colossae needed. And that is the kind of encouragement that you and I need. As we live in today's world. As we live in a world just like them, where there are so many hollow and deceptive things out there. I mean, we could list and go on and on of all the things that the world is saying, Oh, just come over here. Oh, yeah, you've got Just try this out. All these hollow and deceptive things that are empty, that drag us away, that are not filled with fullness and the truth of who God is. And the truth, as we'll continue to see, of who we are when we are in Christ. And this is what Paul is saying. And this is what Paul was saying then, and I think this is the same for us today that Jesus gives us His fullness. And that as we live this life, that we are complete in Him. That we have everything that God has given Him has been passed to us when we are in Christ. So we have been given His fullness. Paul goes on as we'll talk about the fellowship of why it's important not just to have that fullness but to actually be in fellowship with Jesus verse 11 it says in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead So Paul goes, you've got all the fullness. When you are in Christ, you have all of God's fullness through Christ in you. And part of that, what that leads to, is that we also have fellowship with him. This idea of being uh, circumcised, you know, for the Jewish people, I mean, this became, you had to do this. If you you weren't circumcised physically, then you weren't part of the family. Obviously, Paul is refuting that, saying, hey, this is a circumcision not by human hands, but this is a circumcision that's performed by Christ. This idea of of flesh being taken away. It's a circumcision of the heart. It's a circumcision of the fleshly nature that only comes when we are circumcised by Christ. So he's saying, your whole self that was ruled by the flesh, that was ruled by the sinful nature, has been circumcised by Christ. And it happens when you, as he says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through your faith in the working of God. And I love what he says here, this idea of being being buried and being raised. Once again, as we baptize people here, we always talk about that, that it's a... It's a visual picture of what's going on spiritually. That we are joining with Christ and experiencing what He experienced. As He died fully and then rose from the dead. And we get to experience this when we are baptized. But then when we are raised with Him through our faith. So that picture of what baptism is allows us to be buried along with Him. This idea of, of, of assimilating spiritually with Jesus through that burial. But then we are raised along with Him. So we not only experience the death, but we also experience the resurrection. And all of that comes through our faith as we trust as we believe, as we have this confidence in what Christ has done for us. So we get to share in that. The burial, the resurrection. I love this word where it says working with God. It's like a a superhuman activity. This supernatural power that only comes through God as we experience the death and the resurrection with Jesus. And that we are circumcised, not by human hands, but by Christ. And our fleshly nature is gone. And what does that do for us? That, that gives us the ability to be in fellowship with Jesus. I mean, when you think about a relationship with another person, being in fellowship with other believers, when you are near to other people, and they influence you, and you influence them, and you learn from them. I mean, it's the same idea that we get to do that with the Creator of the world. I mean, it, it, it kind of blows your mind, but we get to have fellowship because of His death and resurrection and that we are... Experiencing that with Him through baptism, through being raised through our faith in Him, we get to also share in fellowship with Him. We get to be near to Him. The ability is there. Now, whether or not we enter into that presence, I mean, that's partly what we do here on Sunday mornings. We don't just sing songs to sing songs. We come in to worship Jesus, to worship God, to have a moment where we are preparing our hearts to then enter the Word of God. And we don't just do that here when we leave here. We have the ability to sit in the Scriptures with other people by ourselves. We have the ability to fellowship, to read, to pray, to listen to what He's doing in our lives. To be with, to be near. I've heard people say this in the past about, I can't remember who it was, but somebody was talking and I was reading a book and it said, you know, I could tell when someone had been with Jesus. Gosh, and don't you want to be those kinds of people? That when we're out in the world, when we're with one another, that people go, gosh, there's something different. I can tell there's something different about them. Or someone, I can tell that they've been close to Jesus. That close fellowship because of the overflow of your life. And we only have that ability because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And he invites us to know him fully. Not just a little bit through this fellowship, but we are invited in to know him fully fully. Everything about him, everything about us is reflected off of that. And we get to know him fully. So we have his fullness when we are in Christ. We are invited in to fellowship with the creator, the supreme being of the universe, which is just insane. And then this last little section, Paul's going to talk about freedom. The freedom that comes through Christ. Read with me. It says this in verse 13. It says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, or the written code. Which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. We were dead in our sins. Paul's just reminding him you were dead in your sins, in your uncircumcision, in your sinful nature. But then he goes on to say, But you are alive. With Christ. Ephesians 2.12 says this, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But through Christ, being in Christ, we are now made alive. And it says he forgave us all of our sins. And now he's going to talk about two things that he did. He canceled... And he disarmed. And this is how he dealt with this sin on the cross. He canceled and he disarmed. Because he says he forgave us all of our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Or blotted out or obliterated. And this idea of the written code of the law. Because see, these were, these were the things that were keeping the Gentiles from being a part of the family. And the first thing was the law. And this was keeping Jews in bondage and it was keeping Gentiles away from the relationship with God. But he canceled that out. Blotted it out. Totally wiped it out. That which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So that's the first thing he did. He totally wiped out what we were indebted for. He wiped out the law by fulfilling it. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus as He has totally obliterated the thing that was keeping the Jews in bondage and was keeping the Gentiles away from being a part of the family. And the second thing he says, And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. And this idea of, of powers and authorities really is just the rebellion of the world. The powers that are working against us as we are in relationship With Jesus, the powers that are pushing against us that don't want us to follow the Lord. And He disarmed them. So He canceled the written code and He disarmed the powers and the authorities. The things that are pushing, that are holding us back, that are keeping us from Him. We are free from the condemnation of man. The rules, the regulations, all of that. And we are free from any powers and authorities. The systems of the world that pull us away from God. Whatever the system is. I mean, you know in your life what it is. The thing that is pulling you away, that is dividing your heart, that is making you look at other things to idolize. Any of those things. He has disarmed all of that both in the the natural and in the supernatural. He has disarmed those powers and those authorities. Anything that would have power over you has been disarmed. And I love what it says. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What they thought they were doing when they put Jesus on the cross, when he was stripped naked when they thought they were making a public spectacle of Him, really what God was doing was making a public spectacle of them by canceling the written code, by disarming the powers and authorities. So what they thought they were doing, God had flipped that. And through Christ, through that death and His resurrection, we can now walk and live a life free from condemnation. We have freedom in Christ. You know, and this is always a hard concept. But I mean, young people struggle with this concept. Because they think of freedom, they think about rebellion and, and doing whatever they want to do. They don't think about the freedom that comes through Christ. But the freedom comes because we are no longer condemned by anything. We are not condemned by man's rules and regulations. We are not condemned by the powers and the authorities and the structures that we think are over us, they've been canceled, they've been disarmed, but we are free from condemnation. And this is so important to understand as we respond to the grace of God. That's one of our values. That's our first value here at Fellowship is responding to the grace of God. And if we really respond to the grace of God and we live in grace and not in bondage, then we are free from condemnation as Romans 8, 1 said. So as we are given this fullness, as as we have fellowship with Him, and now we can walk in this freedom. And This is what Paul was saying to the Colossians. He was saying, you are free from all of that. You are free from the condemnation and the hollow and the deceptive philosophies that was trying to be added to Because Jesus is enough. What Jesus did on the cross is enough. When Jesus rose from the dead by the power of God, that was enough. And what he's saying to the Colossians and what I think he's saying to you and I today is that we are complete in Christ Jesus. We are complete in Christ Jesus. He was enough then, and He is enough now. And we get to experience all of that fullness. And we get to experience all of that fellowship. And we get to live a life of freedom. Now, if you're like me, that's probably a struggle sometimes. It's probably a struggle to live that way day in and day out. Because we begin to look at the things around us. We get to measure up ourselves to other people. We start weighing the scales. Oh gosh, have I been good enough this week? Or, well, I was bad here. I did this. Now I've got to, you know, offset it with... I mean, that's the life that a lot of times we live. Because of this condemnation, we feel condemned about certain things. Not that you shouldn't feel guilty because of sin. That's the Holy Spirit working. But when we take that, And then we go, now I've got to go do a bunch of good to try to compensate for this. That is not the life that God wants us to live. God wants us to live a life where, yes, sin is not done with forever until the day that we go to be with Him. It has been taken care of. It has been canceled. We are free. We have His righteousness. But we're still going to struggle with those things. But God doesn't say hey, when you do some of that, then you need to fix it with some of this. You need to clean yourself up before you come in here. No, God says, I'm giving you all of my fullness through my son, Jesus Christ. And I want you to have deep, rich, intimate fellowship with him. And because of that, I want you to walk in freedom. And when we start doing that as a church body, instead of judging ourselves so harshly, but going, God, I messed up. I'm coming back to you. I'm in fellowship. Bring me back to that place of harmony and peace where I belong with you. When we start living that way as a church, then when we go outside of these doors and when we're in the world, then we will start to make a huge impact on those unbelievers that are dying, that are feel hopeless, and meaningless, because they have no foundation. They have been rooted nowhere. And then you and I get to step in and not judge them for their sin, but go, oh my gosh, let me tell you about another way. A way that you can have hope. A way that you can have purpose. A way that you can live your life apart from this balancing scale of good versus bad all the time and trying to live up of the, the scoreboard that none of us will ever win at. But it's only through Christ Jesus that we can live that way. And I think it's exciting this morning too that we get to experience communion. But right before we do that, I've got some next steps for you on the bulletin. First one says, Root yourself in God's Word this week. Pretty simple. Root yourself in God's Word. Get in the Scriptures. This is where we learn. This is where we're taught. This is where you can learn something and turn around and teach someone else a truth that God has shown you. Root yourselves. Build your foundation upon Him. Then secondly, respond to God's grace By overflowing with thankfulness every day. Because see, I believe, and I've talked to my boys about this, if we live a life with His joy in us, and we truly are thankful that we have gratitude in our hearts, then you can live differently. The way you respond to things, the way that you perceive things, the way that you love people, all that changes when you wake up and you live a life overflowing with gratitude. Because what are we grateful for? We're grateful for what Paul just told us. That we have His fullness. That we have fellowship with Him. And that we can walk in freedom. That's what we're grateful for. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what we're grateful for. And if we live with gratitude in our hearts, it'll change everything. It doesn't mean all the hard stuff goes away. It doesn't mean everything is perfect. But it means that we can live with hope. Instead of living a life hopeless.